Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I apologize again for, um, uh, it's a little warmer in here than it typically is. We're running on one air conditioner, but hopefully uh, this week we'll get that replaced and it'll be uh, cool in here next Sunday. Well, we're uh, continuing a, a series, or, or we're, we're starting a series we've done for many years now. I was thinking back yesterday how many years we've done this, and it's about eight years uh, preaching from the poets. And, and this series is based on a passage from Acts chapter 17, where, where Paul goes and preaches to the people of Athens. And, and as he's preaching to the people of Athens, what he does is, is he um, preaches the, uh, the message of God, but he does it using the pagan poets. And so I want us to begin there. I want us to begin in Acts 17, verses 22 through 28. And um, just kind of explain uh, some of this series, if you've never heard it before, before we actually dive into one of the songs that we'll be looking at. So Paul, staying in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And even, as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." And so the, the, the preaching from the poets series mimics what Paul did here in Athens. It is a series of sermons that examines popular songs, songs that uh, we might hear on the radio or songs that, that, that people are listening to. And we examine these songs from secular culture through a theological lens. And so, uh, you know, some may ask, why preach a series on secular songs in our culture? And that's a good question. And let me give you two reasons why we should do something like this. And the first is this. For the last month and a half, as you've known, we've, we've focused on missions and we've talked about missions. And we have learned that as God's people, we are to be engaged in the mission of God. And so mission is not just for missionaries. Mission is for all of us. We are to be missionaries to our neighbors and our co-workers. We are to be missionaries to our friends and relatives. And so we have a purpose, and that purpose is to participate in the work and mission of God. And so how did Paul do mission work in a pluralistic society? This is a valid question since um, we're, we're living in a similar society today. Well, he did not do it by going to Scripture. He did not do it by 
recalling the stories of Abraham, Moses, and David, as he does when he goes to speak to Jewish audiences in the synagogue. He, he did it by looking around and examining the elements of the culture. And he then found positive elements or positive examples in which he could build upon. And so he did not begin by pointing out everything wrong that was going on in society. He began by pointing out some things that they were doing right. He finds this altar to an unknown God and he uses it. And he studies their pagan poets and he begins to quote them. And I would suggest that we need to use Paul's example because we're living in a culture that is growing more and more secular. We're living in a culture that is biblically illiterate. And so it's helpful if we begin to pay attention to things in our culture that we can use. And one of them is songs. We, we, we can use the spiritual elements that we find in songs to have deeper conversations with our neighbors, coworkers, friends, family members. So that's one reason. The second reason um, is that this is a good exercise in the spiritual discipline of listening. Remember, we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now we all know that, but how many of us actually do that? It's hard. Um, in fact, we live in a culture that discourages listening. We live in an age of sound bites. You know, if you ever pay attention to the interviews on TV, you'll notice that no one is allowed to finish their thought. The, the, the interviewer or someone else will cut them off before they can finish what they're saying. We live in an age of Twitter where we are expected to squeeze all of our thoughts on a subject into 140 characters or less. I recently heard a psychologist speaking on this and he made an interesting observation. He said, the great novel War and Peace would never be published today because people would not read it. It's too long. Listening is an important skill. And it's something that we need to practice. We love our neighbors by listening well. We're not going to reach outsiders if we are unable to listen. You know, Larry Jackson was sharing with me recently about a trip that he and Susie took to Pennsylvania. And while they were there, they um, attended a Quaker meeting. And the meeting consisted of a large group of people sitting in silence. And um, they would sit in silence for a while. And then if one of them was moved, they would speak. But no one was allowed to speak right after them. Everyone had to sit in silence for a period of time before anyone else said anything. What a wonderful practice. <laughs> you know, we, we, we live in a culture that rushes to respond. And sometimes we're so eager to respond that we don't even pay attention to the person that we're in conversation with. We're not really interested in what they have to say we just want to say what we want to say. What would happen if we practiced the discipline of listening? How would that change our relationships? How many more people might we be able to connect with if we simply listened?
And so um, the song we're going to look at today is not a new one. It is 52 years old. It's older than I am. But I chose it because it addresses a current issue, a current crisis that we're facing in our culture. The song is Hello in There by John Prine. And Prine was an incredible songwriter who, um, you know, he could, he could have you crying one moment and laughing the next. Uh, he was a postal worker who was discovered by Chris Christopherson. And he has been described as a modern-day Mark Twain because of his wit and his ability with words. He wrote this song, Hello in There, when he was 24 years old. And now, the, this, this song doesn't contain um, some of the humor that he's widely known for, but it's a powerful song, and it speaks for itself. It explores the subject of loneliness, a problem that was um, declared an epidemic by our Surgeon General earlier this year. And so I want to invite you to just listen, practice this spiritual discipline of listening, and consider the words of this song, and then we'll say some things about it. We had an apartment in the city. Me and Loretta liked living there. Well, it'd been years since the kids had grown. A life of their own left us alone. John and Linda lived in Omaha, and Joe is somewhere on the road. We lost Davy in the Korean War, and I still don't know what for. Don't matter anymore. You know the old trees just grow stronger. And old rivers grow wilder every day. Old people just grow lonesome, waiting for someone to say, hello in there, hello. Me and Loretta, we don't talk much more. She sits and stares through the back door screen. And all the news just repeats itself, like some forgotten dream that we've both seen. Someday I'll go and call up Rudy. We work together at the factory. What could I say if he asked, what's new? Nothing. What's with you? Nothing much to do. You know that old trees just go stronger, and old rivers grow wilder every day. Old people just grow lonesome, waiting for someone to say, hello in there. Hello. So, if you're walking down the street sometime and spot some hollow, ancient eyes, please don't just pass them by and stare as if you don't care. Say hello in there. Hello. You know, one of the benefits of listening to songs closely is that it makes us more empathetic we can better understand people. We can begin to relate to people that we may have struggled to relate to before. It, it gives us a new perspective. And I believe Hello in There is such a song. It's about loneliness at different stages of life and the need to connect with others. And so why is this a song that, that we need to pay attention to today? Well, John Prine identified a problem in our culture that has only grown in scope and size since he first wrote it 52 years ago. And what has happened in our culture shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. 
Um, Robert Putnam, for example, brought um, this subject to our attention 23 years ago in his famous book, Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. And so although we've known that this has been a problem for years and years and years, we have not been able to slow the effects of it. Just this last week, we learned the suicide rate hit an all-time high in the United States. 49,500 people took their lives last year in our country. The largest increase in suicide deaths were in older people. There was a 7% increase in people who are between the ages of 45 and 64, and an 8% increase in people older than 65. Now, loneliness is not the reason for all suicides, but it is one of the major reasons, along with depression. You know, it's interesting that loneliness is one of the first subjects that is addressed in Scripture. It's not a secondary subject. Our connection with others is at the core of who we are as human beings. And so you go back and you, and you open the pages of your Bible and you, and you look at Genesis, and in Genesis, God creates. He creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. He creates the oceans and the forests and the mountains. He creates fish and land animals and birds. And he looks at all this creation and he says, it is good. And the first time that God deems something not good is in Genesis 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so I'll make him a helper fit for him. What does it mean to be human? Sit with that question for a while. What does it mean to be human? It means we were created to live in community. We were not meant to be alone. This is who we are. And so it doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter whether you're outgoing or you're reserved. We were all created to need other people in our lives. Loneliness is unhealthy. It's not how God intended us to live. We need community. And this is becoming even more evident as advances are made in neuroscience and other fields. We're learning that what Scripture said long ago is absolutely correct. There are deeper truths in these texts than we ever imagined. And I'll give you one example. I want you to watch. I got a brief video here. It's just a couple minutes. And it's by Dr. Kurt Thompson. And he is a neuroscientist and he's a Christian. And I'm going to share this video with you and you can listen to him um, because I am not a neuroscientist and I, I cannot explain all the things that he can explain. And so. Um, oh, I lost it. <laughs> um, something. Let's see, I'm going to look it up really quickly. There we go. 
there are perhaps many reasons whereby which we have come to where we are in history. One thing seems to be rather evident, and that is that we love knowing things. We almost have an insatiable thirst for knowing things. It also appears that most of our interest in knowing things is in order to control and reduce our distress and anxiety that largely comes not because we don't know things, but because we are not known. It's interesting that we live in a world that for the last perhaps 300 years has largely been shaped by an ethos that encourages and invites independence, invites people to make their own choices without necessarily needing to be connected to other people. That tends to be a very different plausibility structure than a biblical one, which from the get-go addresses the world and says, let us make mankind in an hour and an inch. Let them then rule and have dominion over the earth. Let them live like us, essentially. And that's a pretty crucial statement because we hear in that that the intention for women and men by God's design was for us to not simply live together, but that we would be increasingly more deeply known by one another. It's interesting that one of the ways in which the Hebrew texts understand what God meant by bringing to Adam a helper was one who mirrors Adam to himself. That I'm not just helping him with the laundry, not just helping him with dinner, I'm helping him to see himself. Interpersonal neurobiology, interestingly enough, is tending to give us different information than what our typical scientific direction tends to go. It tends to say, we don't really know ourselves until we see ourselves in somebody else's eyes. This is replete throughout the biblical narrative. Even though it's being newly discovered by neuroscientists in the 21st century, this is information that is the writer of the Ecclesiastes would say, is not really new under the sun. We're just simply putting a different spin on it. So to the degree that we aren't just simply striving to know information, but to the degree that we are willing to be known by others in all of our dreadfulness, in all of our darkness and strangeness, is the degree to which I then become known to myself. And I can't really do that, nor will I experience that, I think, with God, until and or unless I'm doing that with other people. They're just sitting three feet away. Dr. Kurt Thompson is a uh, amazing guy, and um, I know that's just like three minutes there. But um, if you're interested in that, he's written several books and has podcasts and all that stuff. And um, 
it would be worth your time to do a deep dive in some of the things that he's looking at. Um, but here's kind of a summation of what he's saying there. We cannot truly know ourselves if we are not known by others. And we've got videos still playing there. Apologize for that. And it went away there. Okay. Technical difficulties. Okay. Um, we cannot truly know ourselves if we are not known by others. Um, this is one of the reasons that God wants us to live in community. It's part of spiritual formation. We are formed into the image of Jesus as we do life with one another. You will not become who God wants you to be if you're not an active part of a church community. God tells us this. Science backs it up. It's how we were designed to live. And we see this emphasis on community at the end of Acts chapter 2. And so we read here, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. When the church begins, the focus is on community. And this is fascinating. I don't know if you've ever considered it, but God desires that there be a strong community before mission takes place. And so the community of the church is the launching pad for doing missions. And this goes right along with what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. By this, all people will, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This verse here is about community and missions. The community and love of the church is part of the mission. It is the mission. It's also the foundation for discipleship and human flourishing. It's not good for humans to be alone. Is community easy? No. It takes work. It takes sacrifice and compromise. We see this in every letter written to a church in the New Testament. We are to regard others as better than ourselves. We are to look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We are to submit to one another. I could go on and on and on. Just look at those letters. Community is challenging, but it is necessary. And we need to be in regular communion with other human beings, with other Christians. It's what God calls us to. When we are saved, we are added to a community. We are added to the church. Now, according to recent statistics, as many as 50% of Americans feel lonely. 17% feel significantly lonely. And so it's no wonder the Surgeon General has stated that we are facing a loneliness epidemic. Our culture is broken. And it's not just people outside the church. We experience the same problems. There are people here this morning who are lonely. There are people here this morning who need more community. And God does not want anyone to be alone. So what are we to do? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We are to minister to others just as as God has ministered to us. We are to be a community of people who welcome the lonely. We are to seek to right the wrongs of our culture. We help the people in our midst. We, we, We look, we pay attention, we seek to notice those who are struggling. We're open to inviting people to be a part of our lives and and, and helping to share their burdens. We are to be a healing community, as Jesus taught us to be. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is evident when the lonely among us are lonely no more. This is what we do. This is church. Now, for too long, people have defined church as an hour on Sunday. That's not church. It's something the church does. But church is this. Church is the community of God living out the ways of Jesus. Church is what happens on Sunday, but it's also what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, all the days. Church does not conclude with the final amen, you know, at Sunday morning services. Church is us looking to our neighbors after that amen and asking, are you okay? Would you like to go out and get lunch together? Because we can do that. Now, we cannot do all this on our own. And so I have a few words for those who may be struggling with loneliness. If you're lonely, make it known. Confide in someone who's here this morning. There's no shame at all in seeking help. And if you confess your loneliness to someone here this morning, there's not going to be any judgment what you'll find is a brother or sister who's willing to share your burdens. If you're struggling with loneliness, seek to be a more active member of this community. And I know that this is challenging for some, but it's God's plan. God's vision is seen at the end of Acts chapter 2. It's the people of God sharing meals together and serving together. It's the people of God doing life together. And so devote yourself to the community of God and then begin to take note of how God is working in your life. Hello in there is a song about growing older and growing lonely. But it's not just a song about older people. Remember, John Prine was 24 years old when he wrote it. It was a song written by a young person. Um, Some of the loneliest people are college students. If you look at the statistics there, I think it's around 60% of of college students um, feel lonely. And so loneliness is not reserved for for just one age group. It touches all age groups. And the truth is we need one another. Older people often need companionship and purpose. Younger people need mentors. They need something more than Google. 
They need people with life experiences um, who, who are willing to invest in them and um, you know, um, spend time with them. We need each other. I don't care how self-sufficient you think you are. God did not design you to do life on your own. God is calling you to be a part of a community. The church, the community of God, does not exist for itself. It exists for others. And so we need to hear the words of hello in there. We need to be able to empathize with um, people who are lonely. We need to remember that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so what would Jesus tell us to do if, he, if, if we um, spotted a lonely person as we were going about our day? Well, maybe there is some truth in those pagan poets. Jesus' instructions might just sound something like this. So if you're walking down the street sometime and spot some hollow ancient eyes, please don't just pass them by and stare as if you didn't care. Say hello in there. Hello. Let's pray. Dear God, uh, we're grateful for this time together when we can gather as your people and experience some of the community that you intended us to be. And we're just in awe of you and who you are. And we praise you and we glorify you. And Father, I, I pray that you would work in our lives to transform us into the people that we ought to be. I pray that you would be with us as we strive to be your community and do life together. And that we would make room in our lives to connect with others outside this hour of worship on Sunday morning. Father, may we be mindful of those who experience loneliness. May we be able to identify maybe fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with this so that we can share their burdens and help them. May we be a friend to those who we work with or those who live near us who are struggling with these issues so that they may be able to see Christ in us. We pray this in his name. Amen.